Kia ora koutou everyone and welcome to our first Ordinary Saints podcast. My name is Sarah West and I'm sitting here with Richard Bonifant. Yep and we are sitting on level three of Nelligan House. I think it needs a good name, The Attic. The Attic. The Attic at Nelligan House. I like that. Level three is a bit bland isn't it? Yeah you're definitely out of sight out of mind up here on the rafters for, for sure. sure. Yep. Yeah. The ground above the Episcopal team you know we're sort of just dwelling above them but just a bit out of sight, a bit out of mind. Looking down upon them. Anything could happen. <laughs> oh, sorry, Bishop yeah. Ross. <laughs> anyway, um, yeah, so welcome. Today we're going to be talking a little bit about liturgy. So why are we talking about liturgy? Why are we talking about liturgy? What is liturgy? And you know what? That's probably a really good question to ask Richard. Don't you think? <laughs> okay, so what this is, is how this podcast is going to work. That's, Sarah, this is how Sarah goes, go. all right, Richard, uh, you here, uh, let me throw you under the bus. Okay, so uh, liturgy is a, is a particular kind of worship. Um, lots of us go to church and have very different experiences. Mm. Uh, I know I've been to many different churches over my many years of being a churchgoer, but liturgy is a particular way of really kind of writing and structuring worship. Mm. It draws particularly uh, quite heavily upon scripture. Um, people who are sort of new to Anglicanism often don't don't realise that. Well, some do. It depends on how, how well they know their Bible. Um, certainly I know lots of Anglicans aren't aware <laughs> of how, how much scripture uh, is in liturgical worship. Mm. Um, but that's certainly part of it. it. It can involve all sorts of things, different styles of music, uh, different kinds of prayers. Uh, but it's a, as I say, it's a particular rhythm that has developed... Yeah, right since the, well, in fact, bef- well before the beginnings of Anglicanism, mm. um, and it's been a strong part of the Christian tradition. Can I test something with you, Richard? I once learnt that liturgy is anything that happens in a church service. Is that true or false? <laughs> <laughs> so basically, <laughs> it's not just the words we say, because I think no, when people say yeah, liturgy, no. they think, oh, you mean like the stuff we say out of the prayer book? Like no, the it's boring, definitely more kind of monotonal... Is that even a word? Monotonal? Monotonal. I don't know. But, you know, just the kind of <laughs> almost sometimes monotone sort of reading yeah. out of a book, all that stuff we do when it's not fun. I think that's what some people think about liturgy. So, but I have come to understand that it's actually really not narrow like that. It's it's to do with what we're wearing. It's to do with how we're moving. It's yeah, to do with yeah. Certainly body, body movement is something we don't often think yeah. about. Liturgy does require us to move, and admittedly, for most people in a congregation, that might be standing up, sitting down, maybe kneeling. Maybe kneeling. Um, Yeah, lots of churches not so much kneeling anymore. They they don't have kneelers anymore. So um, there you go. So that's sort of a loss of liturgical movement (laughs) there. But um, but certainly for clergy uh, Mm. and people, and, and even people who walk in during during liturgy, that's a kind of movement. Yeah, yeah. Um, so moving around a space and mm. uh, those sorts of things. So in particularly how you stand if you are having a communion service, for example, what you do with your hands, all of those are different kinds of movement. And we often don't think about mm. uh, Christian worship as involving movement as compared with, say, uh, Islam, for example, mm. where the movement, if you've ever seen Muslims at prayer, mm. the sort of standing up, sitting down, kneeling. And um, the hand gestures yeah, as well. And, uh, are very much 
something that all Muslims do and all Muslims know. Mm. But actually, we do that too. Yeah. All right. So uh, I think the presumption is that when we talk about liturgical worship, we're talking about choirs being involved or hymns being involved. You know, the old school type with the organ. Can Would you say, though, that in a church where a worship band is used, you know, like guitar, drums, all that kind of stuff, that's also within the liturgy of that service at a church? Like, I'd say yes. Mm. Um, but I accept that the first thing you said was when we talk about liturgy, we think of yeah. those things. You know, we think of choirs and robing, and, you know, a robed choir and... Mm. Uh, people processing in and singing from the hymn books and like that like when you say the word liturgy that is what I think of mm. um, and that is primarily the way I think of liturgical music it's kind of church music yeah yeah um, Quite but it's quote. definitely not restricted to just that expression that's one expression in the tradition yeah. but there is much more sure so I think then I guess that the word liturgy is quite a loaded one you know when we talk about liturgy there, there are some certain concepts that we could think of, but there's also quite a broadness to that. Yeah, and I think that's something that's quite common um, in all church traditions, mm. is that words become imbued with meaning, right? Sorry, it's a terrible word to just throw in there, imbued. imbued. But it makes uh, you sound uh, very intelligent. <laughs> it does. I'm, I'm good at making myself sound intelligent. <laughs> I might not necessarily be intelligent. Oh, come on. Um, <laughs> You've got that big beard. Surely all your intelligence hides in there. <laughs> it does. It's a sieve for wisdom. This is not the Bearded Podcast. If you would like to hear the Bearded Podcast, <laughs> please send messages to Sarah West at no. Oh, dear. Uh, I'll expect those emails. Maybe uh, a way of getting into this topic a little deeper, Sarah, is for mm. you to maybe, do you remember your first experience of liturgical worship and what it was like as a younger person? I do. Um, let me tell you a story. Uh, so I, uh, when my family moved to New Zealand, I started going to... Uh, St George's in Epsom. Now, I guess, you know, all of these terms, right? People would say that's like a middle Anglican parish, or at least I think it was at that time. I'm not really sure. Uh, but that was my first experience of the Eucharist anyway, you know, communion, all of that stuff that I can remember. And I remember sitting there in the wooden pews and there was the prayer book and, you know, they had the three ribbons. Now it's got four, right? But it had three back in the, back in the day. Four, that's revolutionary. I know, I know. It's like moved beyond the Trinity. I don't know how I feel about that. Anyway, so I had these three ribbons and I used to plait them in the service and people would read from the prayer book. Um, I think, I think they did or off a screen. I can't remember. Anyway, I basically had no idea what was going on. Um, the adults around me, including my parents, would say a whole bunch of words. Some of them I actually over time learned off by heart because mm. I just heard them being said again and again, which in hindsight I think is a really wonderful function of liturgy. Um, but I also didn't get it. So, for example, you know, the priest would get up behind the, um, t the Eucharistic table or the altar and would wave a chalice around and would talk about something about blood and bread and body, and I was just really confused. I, I, it was almost like, wow, we're like a bunch of zombies, you know, like mm. eating the body and blood of Christ. That sounds ridiculous. Um, even as a young person, I remember thinking that. And yet, I knew there was something going on. I knew there was something really important happening. And yet, we were kind of shipped out of the service to go to, you know, to... Uh, Sunday school and a youth group after a while and I would go there and have fun and stuff but just felt like hold on 
there's something happening in big people church across the way that I'm not involved in. And I have no idea what's going on, but I know it's important. And so I just got pretty confused. And then by maybe 15 or so, I think I kind of distanced myself from from that parish. Um, Not for any particular reason, except that I guess I was starting to have questions and wanted to explore some of that um, with a bit of distance from my parents, perhaps. Um, And so I went to a few other churches and some of them were Anglican, some weren't. Uh, and then over time, I rediscovered liturgy or liturgical worship because I was curious. I felt like I was lacking something in these other spaces where liturgical worship wasn't so much of a thing, even though I never got it. And I can't explain that, but that's what happened. Um, so I started to ask questions, started to read books, and I started to learn some some of the meaning behind the symbols um, that are used. So. Well, I guess I learned what a Eucharistic table was. Um, and I learned that it was there in scripture, you know, this idea of gathering around the table um, with Jesus uh, mm-hmm. and what that means and how radical that really is. This idea of being a community that comes to hear who we are, what we are, and then is sent out again into the world in order to take the hope of Christ out again. And I just thought, wow, that's a beautiful movement, sort of coming in, going out, coming in, going out, and that's liturgical worship. Um, I learned about stoles and albs and all of those weird things that priests and deacons and bishops wear and realized that each one has a meaning to it that is really different to what I thought. So I thought that all of those things were quite pretentious, to be honest. I would see them and be like, yeah, well, don't of, you just think you're so important yeah, up there the, in all the, those clothes? The funny dress-ups. That's yeah. right. And like the bishop's hat, the mitre, like mm-hmm. no offense, but when I first saw that, I just thought that was hilarious. Um, you know, you sort of look like a wizard, like with your mm. cope and your hat. It's all very strange. And so I guess, you know, from a novice perspective I just thought it was a bit silly really um but then I started to understand hey all of this stuff has roots all of it comes from a sort of ancient and evolving practice that we that we have as Christians and I really enjoyed that idea this thought that what we're doing is not just what we feel like doing on a Sunday right it's actually something that's been going on for a long time and I'm part of that bigger story Mm. So mm. that was kind of my journey, and there's so much more to it. But I've been talking for ages, so that's a little story of mine. Yeah, that's all good. My uh, <coughs> my story is actually pretty similar. Okay, um, tell me your story. Uh, I I certainly grew up in a yeah you know a very middle of the road Anglican parish, and I I can remember when we started using the prayer book in the in the late eighties, early nineties. I was uh, going, uh, I was out of Sunday school by that point because I'm you know ancient. Um, it's not really. Uh, but, uh, but the first thing, because like, you mentioned that in your story, and I'm like, you know, when I think about it, probably most people who go to church now, I'm not sure that they necessarily know what this thing called the prayer book is, because I think lots of churches, when the prayer book first came in, uh, in, in 1989, lots of churches just grabbed it and used it, mm. used this great big book, which is really kind of meant as a resource book. Um, it's not super friendly, and I know... Um, because I get around the diocese a little bit um, to various different parishes uh, each Sunday, and very few actually pick up and use the big heavy book anymore. Yeah. Most, you know, do printed services and so on. Mm. Well, those services do come from the pre-book, yeah. you know, but, but right. they're presented a little bit more friendly way. Mm. Um, so that's one of those things that I'm sort of aware of, that, that even that has changed quite a lot. 
so yeah, I remember sitting in the pews and knew and also you know, I definitely remember plaiting the, uh, the, the the ties. And um, my experience was a little bit different because I know at the sort of as a teenager when I started having some questions and I and also started going and worshiping in some other churches or went to the you know the local Baptist church for a while to see what that was like and it was a very different style of worship mm. and that was sort of part of my formation. But um, my parents were really involved in, uh, in in the church and so when I started having those questions about what are the dress-ups about? I know we always do it. I know we always wear albs, and I know that, you know, priests wear stoles and the chasuble, and I know their names, but I don't know what they're about. And I actually had a dad who was really good at explaining that stuff. Oh, that's awesome. Um, and he was really good at taking the time to go, oh, yeah, here's the meaning of this. And I think that's when it sort of changed, and eventually I gravitated back into the Anglican Church because I started getting those bits and pieces that were missing, which was... This is why we do it. Mm. Um, so up until yeah, really quite my late sort of teens, I just understood litur- liturgy as this is just how we do it. Mm. I didn't necessarily understand the meaning as to why we do it. And that why question is really important. I think it is. It changes yeah. everything. Well, it did for me yeah. anyway. And you, apparently. Um, yeah, yeah, <laughs> for sure. So I, uh, I noticed that we've put out a couple of videos already. Um, we have. And that seems to fit in with what we're talking about. It does. I love how you said, I've noticed we've put out some videos, as if you weren't involved. I was in one of them. <laughs> <laughs> yes, we have. We've put out a couple. We've put out, the first one was, what is an alb? And that was our first whack at, you know, trying to make that happen. We did that at St. Luke's Mount Albert. Beautiful church. Mm. And then our second one was, what is a stole? And I imagine if I was younger, well, it's not like I'm old, but. I mean, maybe I am. You can be the judge of that. Um, When I was younger, I probably would have looked at that video and thought, who cares? But it was understanding that stuff that really opened the door for me and understanding what is a fulfilling worship experience for me in the sense that I know what's happening, I know why we're doing this, and I know where it comes from. And for me, that gave it so much more meaning. Um, So, yeah, what do you reckon about the videos, Richard? Like they seem to have found an audience, uh, so yeah, yeah, which is cool because, I mean, you know, you and I and, and other members of Ordinary Saints have talked about this stuff, and the mm. hope has been, well, you know, we do think this stuff is interesting and we want to know more. Mm. So, you know, my hope is that there are more people like us who are going. Actually, I've always wondered about that. Yeah, uh, and and they're fun little presentations. They're nice short watches, but there's um, you know, there's some good information in there and. Uh, a nice light-hearted approach to it I think so absolutely yeah I've also noticed uh people are talking about liturgy people are talking and by people I mean young people and the more that I test this the more that I'm seeing it's it's real that there seems to be a bit of a resurgence amongst young people coming back to more liturgical worship what is that about um and it's interesting because that is my story And I just assumed, okay, that's just my story. You know, I'm just a bit weird. But as it turns out, there's a lot of people like me. um, And I'm encountering more and more and more of them. So I'm interested in whether you've experienced that, Richard, in talking to people. uh, And whether you think that's happening as well in New Zealand. I know it's happening around the world. But New Zealand seems to be a bit behind the ball sometimes on these kinds (laughs) of movements. Um, So, yeah, what are your thoughts? From time to time, one of the things, because, you know, uh, I'm, I'm one of those priest kind of people, 
You're and a priest kind of I, people. Yeah, I'm going to mm, say that again. Same. So I'm a priest. I'm a priest too, <laughs> just if we haven't mentioned that already. Um, yeah. So from time to time I will, uh, because I don't have a fixed abode at the moment, I get around different congregations. Um, <laughs> Travelling priest. Yeah, which is, you know, all, all fun, all part, of the, all part of the pilgrimage. But I will do what's called a teaching Eucharist, which is mm. where we kind of slow it all down and we go, well, this is why we do this and here's some of the meaning of this. And it's always really, really interesting that, that's never been poorly received anywhere, anytime. Like, you start talking about it and going, and all sorts of people right across the age spectrum seem to really value it. Yeah. And go, oh, I had always wondered about why we do that. Oh, that's why we add the water to the wine. It's not just about making the wine go further. <laughs> and I'm sure we'll come back and talk about that at some we point in do. time. We uh, may that's do. a that's a teaser for future podcasts. Uh, why why do they add water to the wine at Riveting. communion? Um, why do some churches use <laughs> grape juice and some use only wine? Yeah, there you go. Another teaser. Um, look, I think when people understand something and understand the reasons why we do things, then we find deeper meaning. Yeah. And I think lots and lots of us are looking for deeper meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that's a, you know, I believe that that's a really universal thing. That we're all trying to live deeper into the reality of what I call God, mm. um, and that liturgy is one way we can do that. Yep. And I think liturgy also speaks to the communal aspect of that, doesn't it? I I love hearing uh, the first time I heard about the creed. Um, being spoken as something that we say together so that perhaps those who aren't able to say it with any integrity or confidence um, can have that creed said by the rest of the community to sort of hold them in that, hold them in their doubt, hold them in their, I don't know, hesitancy, I suppose. Mm -hmm. Um, And I heard that, and for the first time I thought, wow, that's beautiful. Because actually there have been times when I've been in church and there's stuff that's said and I'm going through something tough or I'm having some doubts or... You know, priests get have doubts too. Hey, Richard. Oh, for yeah, sure. Yeah. So the, you know, there's those seasons, or we're just feeling angry, or we're a season of lament. You know, which is mm. absolutely biblical. Um, but it can feel really hard to say certain words. And so, in liturgy, one of the beautiful things is that everyone else says it, and you're kind of held by that, whether or not you can say it with any confidence. And I've experienced that too. You know the first time I heard that I thought okay yeah right well, we're going to test that theory out because right now I'm struggling to say a couple of these things mm, and mm. then my community around me said those things and I felt truly helped by yeah. that yeah yeah that's cool that's cool I have a slightly different take on a similar kind of thing about not saying things nice um, because for me at this point in my journey I don't like saying things in liturgy that I don't believe. Mm, mm. And there are sometimes, not many, <laughs> so like, look, trust me, I'm not standing there in silence uh, throughout a church service. <laughs> now we're going to be watching you uh, in church <laughs> But there are, sometimes there are particular words, or the way that they're phrased, where I mm. say, that doesn't quite fit with my belief. Yeah. And my choice is that I don't say those words mm, mm. because I can't say them with integrity. Mm. But I respect that I'm in a community where lots of people can. Yes. And so if people can say those words with integrity and say, yes, this is formative, my part of my belief, that's cool. I'm, mm. I'm totally okay with that. And I hope that they understand that I can't say those words yeah. Yeah. Um, because my belief has changed and I've grown in particular ways. And I've been shaped by, you know, experiences that are unique to me. Mm. So sometimes my role in liturgy will be to be standing there alongside people going, mm. you know. And for me, that's I think that's kind of the, the unifying aspect of liturgy, yeah. right, is that... 
we can actually all approach it differently. We can all think different things about the meaning and the symbolism and, and every part of liturgy, mm. um, but we can still do it together. Absolutely. Uh, and for me, that it's that, that coming together of the body of Christ is really important. Mm. Amen. Great. So that was some initial thoughts about liturgy uh, from us today. And uh, you might um, agree, you might disagree, and all of that is welcome because podcasts are a medium through which you're listening to us and you're not saying anything back. And we appreciate that's a bit awkward, but we really appreciate you listening. Uh, so we'll see you next time. And it's been lovely to have a yarn. Thank you, Richard. You're welcome. And uh, look forward to the next chat. Mm-hmm.